Hi, I'm Dave Kittrich, filmmaker in Los Angeles, and this is The Outcast, presented by Outfest, where we have conversations with LGBT creators and allies to discuss their work, their inspirations, their passions, and the challenges of getting our authentic voices heard. And today, I am beyond gagged to talk to the three fabulous stars of the HBO series. We're here, each of them exceptional and legendary queens, Ms. Bob the Drag Queen, Ms. Eureka O'Hara, and Ms. Shangela. Oh my God, welcome to The Outcast. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. So I guess at the top of it, um, this is a really interesting show. Um, it's not what it, you would expect. Uh, I saw the trailer, I was expecting, you know, like one thing, but when I watched it, it was so much deeper and more resonant than I was expecting. So, I mean, tell me, like, you know, Shangela, why don't you start? How did this show come about for you? Well, this show uh, was brought to myself and, and also Bob and Eureka by the creators of the show, Steve Warren and Johnny Ingram. And they uh, approached me with the idea, three amazing drag queens going across country to small conservative towns and connecting with people, uh, but in a way that we help them to kind of realize the best versions of themselves through the power of drag. And also we were gonna be producing and putting on a one night only drag show in places that had never had them before. So, I mean, honestly, I immediately jumped at the idea because it was, you know, it's one thing that I would have loved to see as a kid that grew up in a, in a very small conservative town myself. It would have been so cool to have that. So it was a really great project. And Bob, you're already, known for all of your kind of YouTubes and all of your all of your stuff coming out there. How does We're Here kind of like fit into your media strategy, I would say? Well, I would say that um, We're Here is very different than the, I mean, what I'm mostly known for is like my YouTube videos or Sibling Rivalry, my podcast that I do with Monet Exchange. And We're Here is, I mean, completely different. I mean, my podcast is a stream of consciousness between me and, and my good Judy, Monet Exchange, where we just kind of, you know shoot the shit and gab between girls, whereas we're here is really like taking us out of our comfort zones and putting us into completely different elements. I mean, I film all those in my apartment. We're not filming. Uh, we're here. Well, with the exception of one episode, we did film one episode. In my but that's a great episode. One episode we did film in my that's apartment. That's an amazing yeah. episode. Like, uh, so I have to say to everyone. I mean, I, I finished the the series last night. The last episode, you guys got tripped up by the COVID. How did didn't we? Yeah, girl, Ms. Virus. Uh, but like a true queen, COVID could not hold us down. No, it was an amazing episode because basically, you know, it was in Spartan uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is near where Eureka grew up. Correct. Yeah. And you guys had like only a few days of photography before you guys had to shut down because of the pandemic. And then- I don't want to correct you, David, but it's actually pronounced South Kakalaki. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> but the rest of the episode is basically about you guys. And I have to say, I mean, I am a fan of all three of you individually, you know, from RuPaul's Drag Race and from other stuff. And I didn't know at least a bunch of the stuff from all of you guys and like your your struggles and how you all came from small towns. Um, Bob, you came from Columbus, Georgia, Shangela, Paris, Texas, and Eureka from Bristol, Tennessee. I mean, this this show must have particular resonance for you guys. Well, I know for me, one of my friends was uh, watching the show and she said, my friend Mila Jam, shout out Mila Jam, who's a dear friend of mine from Columbus, Georgia. And she was like, to see Columbus, Georgia, because there's a moment where we put our hometowns on this like post. And she was like, just to see Columbus, Georgia, 
on that, you know, that post, um, as we go to each of these towns, it really, you know, speaks to not only people from Columbus, Georgia, but people who are from small towns or from other towns who know that experience of like moving to a big city. And sometimes you feel like you're abandoning a part of your your yourself. I, I, speak, I can speak for myself. Sometimes I felt like I was leaving a small part of me back in Columbus or like abandoning a thing, but then you get to carry that legacy with you everywhere you go. So the first episode, I guess you guys did uh, last summer uh, in, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Eureka, like you had the most... I guess, emotionally weighty part of that episode. And that was the thing that I didn't expect. I didn't expect that that kind of, I, you know, I want to say misery, but that has a pejorative and I don't want to say misery, but it's like, it's like they, they're really, really trying to heal from something hard. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it, when it comes to the show, I think that's some of the moments that surprised me the most personally is like the the depth that we were able to reach with these people. Um, with Erica, that episode, it was really near and dear to my heart because I had recently lost my mother. Um, and I think that was a good way for us to connect. And I think that this show um, does touch base on conversations that have been needing to be had and that um, are stirring conversations in these households, which I'm I'm hoping is what's making it so special for people. It does me specifically. Um, And it was a deep moment, you know, but I think another thing about me, Bob, and Chandler as we've done this series is um, when we connect with these people, we've been there, right? We are from small towns. We understand the pain and the struggle and um, how important it is to have these moments. So that's why we give so much of ourselves to these people. Um, And I think that is where that connection and that depth and showing that that vulnerable side is very important because people a lot of times think they have to kind of hide it and um, not be honest about how they feel. And, and when you're open and honest, it heals other people too, you know? It did me. You know, watching on RuPaul's Drag Race, there's always the emotional moment or the, the backstory or what would you say to your younger self? And there are always those moments. But the thing that I was not expecting was how hard some of that stuff was to watch how moving it was. I mean, the stuff the stuff that we're talking about, uh, in case you haven't seen it, anybody, um, in Gettysburg, Eureka, you talked to a mother who's trying to show her lesbian daughter, who she had formerly kicked out of the house, that she's coming around and she has come around, she's working on it. And at the end, the lesbian daughter, and not really a spoiler, the lesbian daughter does, a, you know, after a bit of back and forth, does come to the performance and it's left on kind of an ambiguous note, which I thought was really, really wonderful because it's not that easy. Um, but it did show something, and you were obviously moved. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely was. And I think it's uh, something that we all kind of mention often is we don't leave these towns putting a big bow on it, saying, oh, everything's great and it's okay because that's not life, you know? Um, we kind of just leave them to their, their vices, and we hope that they're able to, like, continue this growth of confidence and moving experience. And, you know, um, and... Uh, as a disclaimer, or um, just to clarify, um, Haley was actually considered herself bisexual, uh-huh. um, but um, Erica was such an evangelical Christian that it was hard for her to to cope with the idea of her being any part of the LGBT spectrum. Um, there's a lot of fear of like thinking, you know, when you're taught and you um, tell yourself that if you don't live by a certain code, you're gonna be you're gonna burn in hell for all eternity. And there's so many elements that a fear there. So she did project that onto her daughter, and it caused a really intense riff but when she when you lose someone you love it kind of makes you realize like I miss this person I need to change my ways and she did everything she could too and we were lucky to have Haley show up I think that was really the coolest and most powerful part was like this kid turning around and showing up you know I agree and I mean you know in you know in episode four in Farmington 
there was a family, a, a sister and a mother trying to get over a suicide of of one of their family members, of, of the daughter slash sister, um, who was a lesbian and had other mental health issues, of course. But, you know, it's like, you know, you hear of these things happening and this happens all over the country. And it's it's really kind of refreshing to see you guys. You're doing it very wide eyed and open. You're not doing you're not sending away the rough edges on any of this stuff. You're there to like kind of bring empowerment to these people through drag and you show that. But at the same time, you're not you're not hiding from the actual pain that's there. Well, I think that's why we call it a real life series, because it really is showing real life. We're not trying to give any representation of what's not here, what's not happening. It is showing the true, gritty, raw side and also the shiny, gorgeous, glammed up side once we dress it up and put it in a wig. You know what I mean? And and we should also say, I mean, I should also say, um, I mean, the show's not really a downer. I mean, your performances are absolutely amazing i mean you know i would have waited in line to see any of those those shows that you guys have at the end of each and episode. people have wait what was that they were absolutely what <laughs> <laughs> and the great thing is you know people really did the shocking thing especially to me you'll see in the first episode i figured you know we're doing these t- shows in these small conservative towns based on the vibe of a lot of people that we were running into on the streets i was i remember telling bob like baby you don't need all those uh, seats and those standing room, honey. We're not getting all that. So, <laughs> you know, but I I was very surprised. And as you know, as you saw with the season, uh, it was just re- very refreshing that in small towns where there are a lot of uh, messages that are very discriminatory against the LGBTQ community, there's a lot of uh, unacceptance in those spaces. There were still a lot of people that came out that showed support, and we were able to kind of discover or, or really give a safe space to people who wanted to come out and say, you know what, I am an ally of the LGBTQIA plus community because in a lot of places there isn't like a local, commu- you know, a local gay community center or a drag bar or a club where they can come out. You saw in Gettysburg they would find spaces like at the theater. Um, or there's little watering hole type places where the gays will kind of get together, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a, a major space for that. And our show really provided that. And you saw like lines literally wrapped around the corner of these venues of people coming out just to say, hey, I'm down with the gays and I also love good entertainment. <laughs> so let's see it. All three of you are veteran live performers. I mean, you guys have, you know, kick it out wherever you go. How was it performing in this in this kind of circumstance as compared to like, you know, Coachella, Coachella, yes, Coachella. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Coachella. Talking talking with Bradley Cooper. Right. Give us our roses, bitch. Give us our roses. Going to the Oscars, you know that kind I was of thing. Say, I don't know. I mean, I appreciate you calling me a veteran performer. With him. That makes it sound like I've been doing this for like thirty years. <laughs> now you're all you're all younger than me. In fact, when Eureka said in in episode six, like I was young, I was dancing around with the Spice Girls. I was just like, what? I actually had to hit pause, and then I looked you up on Wikipedia because I was like, no, you cannot walk. I was in my mid twenties, and the Spice Girls, you know, were running around or I'm whatever. Sorry. It's like, how young are you? You are young. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, we're all hard workers. I mean, I think I think it's just like honestly the show for me it's just there's so much fun elements to it 
too. I think the performing part is like a powerful moment. It's a little it's a little different because we create these performances with our daughter and we have to be on stage with them, which is really important for them because I think it gives them confidence to be able to do it right. Um, but it's a different kind of performing. I mean, you know, it's like it's like creating these duet productions um, that you know usually it's like us and maybe some dancers or whatever. So and you have to find a connection. So the creative process is really interesting because me, Bob, and Shangela as consulting producers on the show as well, we actually create our numbers with our daughters, like between costuming, the music, everything. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's kind of what makes it, I guess, different too, Mm -hmm. um, is we're creating these little like production moments to also like uh, attach to the narration of their story as well. So we're like trying to find a connect there. Um, But it's a lot of fun. It's like, you know, this this show is super deep too, but I think what makes it fun for me is like me, Bob, and Shangela have a blast out there at many moments. You know, even though uh, some of those times on the streets we're in drag and they might seem vulnerable, there's other moments where, you know, we cackle and we kiki and we pick at each other and, you know, we just be queens, you know, and I think that's where the light comes in the show too. So it's fun. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about because there were a couple of times even in the show where I was personally worried for your safety. And I know, I know we don't see the security people. I know, I know, you know, it, it, you know, (laughs) we're watching a TV show, but at the same time, I mean, that woman at that theater with the phone that I was, I was freaked out by that. What you don't see, what you don't see is I'm, you know, me, I'm so, uh, big and strong that Eureka and Bob actually hide behind me and I protect them <laughs> with my height and my stature because, you know, I'm that girl. That's true. She is quite the chihuahua, mama. She does pump up. <laughs> she's right in front. She's like... Well, you just made me realize something. Because <laughs> yeah, you were like, security, I was like, we don't have security. Do we need security? <laughs> we don't have no security detail. I was like, wait, should we have had security the whole time? I mean, we've had... We're not alone, but we ain't got no security. But the thing about it is, I know, I th- go ahead, Eureka. No, I was just going to say, I think they think I'm the security bitch. They're like, <laughs> just let Goliath go up there, mama. She's big. She'll make them nervous. You are the most glamorous security if ever there was one, baby doll. Let me You're tell right. you, though. You You're know right. what? Oh the thing about it is, we, I don't think we ever walked into, I think I can speak for the three of us, at least visibly. We never walked into any of those spaces afraid because... We grew up in this type of environment. We understand what it is to be in a place where, you know, maybe Confederate flags are hanging or we walk into a space, even as drag queens, people around the world, drag queens around the world know what it's like to walk into a space and feel like every head just turned and they're all looking at you and they're all judging you. And that's as queens, as you call veteran queens, uh, we have built up... (laughs) You know, that type of confidence within ourselves to be able to walk into these spaces. And another thing we have to know is that we knew that we're walking into this space today and possibly for the next seven to ten days. But our local drag daughters who we're connecting with who live here walk into these spaces every day. So there was no reason for us to be afraid. We called the show We're Here because that's exactly what it is. It's saying that we're here and also that queers are here and we're not going to be afraid we're going to walk with our head high high and we're going to be proud of who we are i think that's a very damaging stereotype that people in big cities seem to think that only gays only exist in big cities (laughs) you know it's like it's like they don't they just don't happen anywhere else like somehow we all like just propagate in these these urban areas it's in the water yeah exactly But I have to say, I mean, one of the things, and, and we're, we're recording this in early June 2020, so, I mean, as, as a white guy, 
I've had to look at my privilege a lot more than I think I ever have. And I've learned a lot. And this show also showed me that a bit of privilege in myself, because I think one of the things in the early episodes, at least I was thinking like, you know, you would go to these towns and you would see like these adorable, sweet, you know, people uh, like, like Jose or Tanner um, and just be like, baby, you got to move, like get, get out, like go, you got to go get a boyfriend. You got to go to a city. You got to get out. But that's, that's privilege right there, you know, because that's not always possible for everybody. Well, also not only is it not possible, but there are some people who just don't like, not every queer wants to live in a big city. Right. We talk about like, um, um, the lady that Eureka worked with in Russell, oh, yeah, Louisiana, Leanne. she just didn't mm. want to leave. She liked that town. She loved being from there. She loved living there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will Lynn O'Hara would love being in um, in Ruston, Louisiana. And there are people who just like really genuinely aren't trying. They have nowhere. They're not trying to go nowhere. Right. They're, they're not. They're not looking at this as a means to an end. But she they're was like, married, is- right? I mean, she was already Mary, married. Married with, with two stepkids. Well, I was thinking more like Jose and Tanner. It's just like, you know, Jose, like sweet Jose, who he was in the Bonnie Tyler yeah. number, correct? Or am uh, I just mixing them Tanner up? No, 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 no. Jose was oh, in the J-Lo. Oh, Born him. This Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tanner did Born This Way. Jose did uh, J-Lo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Baby, let me say this, though. You know, in our within our community, and what we find a lot with this show as well, is that, and that's why I'm so happy that, you know, that HBO and the production company and just... All of us have really put our heads together to make sure that this show was one of the most inclusive experiences of any that I've ever been involved with. Because there are, we have to recognize and acknowledge that there are layers of stereotype and discrimination that Mm -hmm. uh, exist even within the queer community. And just, you know, we definitely did not want to perpetuate sometimes a stereotype that here we, you know, three famous queens come who've had this worldly experience and from the big city to help you poor people who are stuck in these small towns. These are great, valuable, and some people have a really good experience in small towns. I'm from a small town, and I love being from Paris, Texas. And actually, even though there is great discrimination and not a lot of visibility in my particular community, there are still great, and what we found in a lot of these places we went to, there are great pockets of support in these spaces as well. So it's not um, not fair of us to say, you know, oh, you should do this in order to live your best life. What we come into the town to do is, and what you saw this whole season was us coming into the town and helping equip them with some of the tools that we've gathered, you know, along our, I love using this word, veteran careers. (laughs) 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 But, you know, these tools that we've learned, and, and not only just in being drag queens, but the things that we've learned along our entire lives. As you saw, we have well, you know, very long, lengthy journeys, maybe not Eureka's uh, lengthy, but uh, we had a lot of experience, you know, prior to even being drag entertainers. We have lived lives and learned things that helped us shape us to become the confident, you know, people that we can walk into these spaces now and say, you know what, we can be mentors. We do deserve to have this voice. And this is why you should not just listen to us, but just be open to hearing what we have to say. And if you want to take it on to see if it you know, applies to your life to make it better, then great. But we do have some things that we've learned you know, to be able to share. And another reason I am a huge fan of all three of you, uh, just enormous and genuine huge fan, is your stories uh, about how you discovered yourselves through drag and, and discovered your talents and your lives through drag. I mean, Eureka, you have a wonderful 
uh, wonderful. You have a very moving story, uh, you know, about how you were basically in the pit of despair. And drag basically helped you through. Yeah. Um, well, a side note too on this lengthier like uh, baby queen moment. I've been doing drag since I was 18 years old, so I've been doing drag for 11 years. You know, I have been doing drag well for probably one, but <laughs> I've been doing drag for 11. <laughs> um, you know, and and it's. <laughs> it really, you know, if I didn't find drag at that youth and where I was in such a dark place, I mean, I came from a place where, you know, I was picked on daily, not just by um, my peers, but mostly my family. You know, I come from um, my, my dad's side of the family, especially, are, you know, honestly, what you would stereotypically consider as, like, backwoods, East Tennessee, white trash. I'm just going to be real, you know? So to, like, fight through um, that to try to come out as, like, a progressive and fully realized person and, like, one that's positive to yourself when you're having people tell you that everything about you is inaccurate or, or not good enough, you know, it, there is a really dark, a darkness that comes with that. But that's what's so special about drag is, like, you get to glamorize yourself and feel beautiful and feel sexy and you get to, you walk around the bar and people tell you how gorgeous you are all night. You know, no one ever told me how beautiful I was growing up except my mom. You know, and it's like, well, your mom, that's your mom, you know? So you kind of like expect it, you know, so drag, like whenever you get that extra love and that attention, there's, there's something special about it when you don't get it a lot in your life. You know what I mean? And, um, someone who resonated a lot with me and Bob was like Amelia in, um, Twin Falls, you know, t you know, saying that everything had been used against her, you know, and it's very that and drag is something where you get to be like, no, you know, it's a, it's a, it's it's almost like a state. It's the statement itself. Just getting in drag and being like, "Fuck no, you're wrong. This is who I am. I'm amazing. I'm beautiful." Like there's a a confidence that comes with it. So that's what's amazing about drag. I'm, well, and sexy. Oh, and, and you talk about feeling sexy. Well, now because of drag, I feel sexy as a as a non drag queen too. Like I feel sexy out of drag. That's how I I gained that sexual confidence there too. And it's been very important for me. I mean, that's important for. I mean, every single adult needs to go through something like that where where they realize who they are yeah. and their sexuality and why it's valuable and why it's attractive. And Bob, you talk about how drag kind of pulled you out of a dark place as well. Yeah, well, I was just experiencing a lot of loneliness when I moved to New York City and also a lot of having feeling like I didn't have a, a, a crowd to connect to. That's because I wasn't being truthful with, my, truthful with myself at the same time. And I want to point out too, like while Misha, Angela, and Eureka do have great stories. The only difference between our stories and anyone listening to this is the fact that we have had the opportunity to tell our stories. I mean, anyone's story could be a movie at some point or mm -hmm. another. Like, we've all done a lot to get to where we are, wherever the hell we've gotten. You know what I mean? Um, well, you've worked really hard, though. You've worked so hard to get there. I mean, you're... Yeah, I've I mean, certainly worked hard, but, but, you know, my, my Uncle Steve with zero Instagram followers, he worked hard, too. And there's, like, <laughs> there's a lot of folks out here working hard. I just don't want, I don't want to create this narrative that I'm, like, this... Like, I, I'm special or working hard. I'm a, I, I used to have a teacher in school that used to say, um, remember, you're unique just like everybody else. Work. Um, so, like, yeah, you are, you're, you're, you're special. You're still but, underselling yourself just a little. I mean, I have to say, like, there are... You are... Yes, we're all special. Yes, we're all unique. But, you know, not to, to, to misquote George Orwell, maybe some of us are more unique than others. Mm -hmm. You know, you, yeah, you, I mean, you brought a sense. special light to, to what you do and to the people who see no, you. I agree. I am, I'm quite remarkable. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yes, you are. I agree. I am, but I, but I, but I do want to attribute that my remarkable, my remarkability uh, is a lot of is as I've, I've just, I've had a lot of opportunities. Either I created them, or opportunities that have come to me as well. Um, in regards to either being able to be on RuPaul's Drag Race or having a, a show on HBO or the access that I've had as like an American um, or as, you know, different things in life. So, but but yes, I do feel very special. Thank you, David. <laughs> well, and you know, honestly, honestly, I think that um, what the reason we're able to connect with people is because we have gone through a lot, as everyone has. And what Bob's trying to say, I think, too, is like, yeah, everyone does have a story. And we, I, I feel him on the idea of like, we've been blessed because we did work hard to get where we are. And through all of that pain, it's, it's about learning how to get through it and overcome it. And I think that we represent these small towns um, that we come from very well in because we've been through these journeys and we've had to overcome it and we've been able to, whatever the factors are that have gotten us over that, that's why we're coming into these towns and able to be mentors. Because ideally, we're just trying to show people ways um, that we've gotten through these things. We're kind of life coaching in a way on personal experience. you know. And there is a lot of power in learning that you're unique and you're special by using the things that you went through to be powerful and strong and how you got through it. You know what I'm saying? So um, I think that that's pretty much like the whole reason that we're able to do this really is because we've learned how to overcome it, you know, and be more powerful on the other side. But there's something very special about artists who, and I think this is true with every artist that's of note that changes people, you know, you bring that experience and you can communicate it. You know, it's not just enough, I think, to to have an interesting life and to overcome things. What you're doing, you're doing a, a next step, which is basically you are now going out expressing it and helping people, like, get past that point in themselves yeah. to, to where they can flourish. And I think that's the beauty of, like, art, and that's the, that's the beauty of what you guys do. Certainly the beauty of your guys' drag. Oh, thank you. I'm just going to end up complimenting you this whole time. I'm, not, I'm a horrible <laughs> fanboy. I'm not, I'm not here to stop you. <laughs> I don't want to take away your joy. I am. <laughs> do you want to know more about Outfest? Of course you do. You're listening to this podcast. Outfest is the only LGBTQIA arts, media, and entertainment nonprofit organization in the world whose programs empower artists, communities, and filmmakers alike to transform the world through their stories, while also supporting the entire life cycle of their career from outset to legacy. And what that means is, it is one of the largest LGBT film festivals in the world and one of the largest film festivals in North America. Also, Outfest has a tremendous number of programs for young filmmakers, as well as archivists preserving gay stories for all time. It is a truly outstanding organization. And especially right now, we would love your help. Please go to outfest.org and learn how you can become a member of this fantastic organization. One of the things I do want to talk about with regard to the show is if you've seen like unscripted shows or, or what they call reality shows, um, you've never seen a more beautiful looking one. I was watching this show and I was reminded, I, I don't think this has ever happened. I was reminded of Terrence Malick's movies. Like I'm watching wow. the show with a beautiful lush, like, you know, these small towns. And I was like, this could be in Tree of Life. You know, this could be in a Terrence Malick movie. Like, what was it like with the, the camera crew and the editorial? I mean, I don't know if you guys ever, like, you know, kind of visited the edit rooms or anything. Could you imagine them letting us, letting us in the editing room? 
the mad. The I don't know. My TikTok is on point. Okay, I edit those videos myself. Did you see my Bro. rain on me tribute? My I rain on me. I saw it. I, I edited that myself. <laughs> oh, you're the closest thing I've ever made it to the editing room. Miss thing, the closest thing I've ever made it to the editing room is the editing room floor, bitch. Okay, I can't <laughs> take it. I do want to thank uh, our, I mean, Peter LaGreco, who's our showrunner, mm-hmm. who has a really, I mean, great mind. And and also, just like, he really listens, not just to me and Shangela, but to the people that we're talking to, people in the towns. He really knows how to get the vibe of the, the towns we're in. Like, and if, <laughs> No, what? I'm doing this. I'm waving a flag. I'm just like what? you're like. Not no. only does he listen to me and Shangela, oh. and also <laughs> and also Peter did this thing where he um I cannot believe he did this. He really caught the essence of me in the finale episode. Right before we start, I say, "All right, I gotta go pee real quick." Yeah. And I cannot believe he left that. One of my favorite because parts. anyone who knows me knows I have a I have a notoriously <laughs> small platter, and I was like, I cannot. I need to call. I still need to call Peter and and, and let her hear it. About that. No, you're yeah. right. And watching the show, Honestly. it is absolutely beautiful. And even, you know, when we're filming it, we don't get to see any of the things that are, how it's going to play out in the end. And I remember watching the first episode and being like, oh my God, you're right. This is like a movie. And that's to the credit of really our uh, videographers on the set, all of our camera people, the mm-hmm. editors, HBO. Honey, this is an HBO project. You knew this was not going to be done in nobody's yep. basement, okay? Mm-hmm. You, got, you got a shout out to the execs who greenlit this. Nina Rosenstein, Casey uh, of HBO Programming, and Casey Bloys, president of HBO Programming. I mean, this is not an obvious, like, oh, like a cable pickup. Like, this is not an obvious show to pick up. Like, this is, you know, because you're going deeper than... Just kind of like two Wang Fu Redux, like going to small towns. Like this is a much deeper, richer show. Yeah, yeah. and you know what? People also, compare us to, to. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. People compare us to two Wang Fu so much, and I love. You know, it's because it's three queens, and we're traveling to small towns, and that's beautiful. But the thing about two Wang Fu that I always missed was the fact that they were, except for that opening scene, they were in drag the entire time. And when I watched yeah, it, it was, it, a it was bit of beautiful sci-fi. and hilarious. But I was like, I can't really relate to that because I don't live up in drag. I don't sleep in drag. I don't go mm-hmm. in drag all the time. And this is a real-life series where we connect with people on a real level. I mean, I love the comparison, but I yeah. think I just hear it so much that I'm always like, guys. <laughs> but Eureka, I'm sorry. I, I interrupted you. <laughs> and the last thing I want to say about yeah. yeah. And the last thing I want to say about this, I want to just give a quick shout out to Ben, Brian, and, Chris, and Christy for just doing our, our amazing uh, directors of photography and cinematography. Like these three amazing. know how to make us look, and not just us, but our surroundings yeah. look really amazing. It was, it's breathtaking. I was going to actually mention IPC is the production company that we work with that um, was hired on by HBO. And just that whole production company is really incredible, you know, down to obviously the videographers, DPs, et cetera. But a shout out to IPC. Uh, that's where Peter also works. Yeah, I mean, we would love to mention, like, everyone's name I know, because if we could, because we have our own unique design teams, each of us. But Marla (laughs) Weinhoff, who was the art director on this show, came in with this vision Mm -hmm. about the RVs and the setups for the campsites. And she's worked with huge names, including Lady Gaga. And she's phenomenal. So, yeah, this looks beautiful. Rich, girl, rich. <laughs> and since we're mentioning names, my cousin Amanda. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> Who is the daughter of Uncle Steve. And Peter also listened to me on occasion. <laughs> well, not to, not to, not to shift Steve. gears. 
not to shift gears irretrievably, but like, you know, I, I think it would be silly for us not to talk about what's going on in the world right now and Black Lives Matter. And, you know, we're under COVID still. We're under, you know, pandemic. We're still kind of, you know, mostly in our apartments, at least. Um, and the outpouring of emotion and the outpouring on American streets has been unprecedented in at least my lifetime, if not like all of our lifetimes. Um, the closest thing is 1968, and and number for number, I think we've surpassed it. Um, racism in the gay community is a very third rail kind of thing. Um, even having conversations about it, are, are you know, it just feels dangerous yet necessary. But you guys are diverse, and you guys have been performing and out there, and you guys deal with it in a way. Uh, in a way that I can't even comprehend, like every day. I mean, how do you feel there's an intersection between what's going on out there in the streets and the gay community? And what do we have to look at? Like, what do I as a white gay guy have to look at? Well, I'll say the fact that there are black queer people uh, lets us know that there's obviously intersectionality. Like, there, can't not, there can't not be intersectionality unless all the queer people were white. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I, I, you know, I think hard about this too because I, I talk to I talk to uh, certain people about. I've been spending a lot of time talking about like peppermint. I've been I have been talking I think literally every day about everything that goes on with Black Lives Matter and the intersectionality of being a queer person in the movement as well. And then also hearing a lot of the people that we that you've worked with for years, people that are seeing like a a, a some you know some walk up to you with a dollar that you remember their face and they were like, Oh, I love you. And they go online and they say really racist things. And you're thinking to yourself, this is the exact same person that like tipped me a dollar last week or was like, you know, work mama queen or trying to, you know, get up in the, the Bob, the drag queen business because I'm someone that's on TV, but then don't give other black people who are not me. Like to quote Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle got put over by a cop once and the cop let him go because he was Dave Chappelle. And Dave Chappelle said, I shouldn't have to be Dave Chappelle to not get harassed by the cops. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, um, it's so great right now that because of the murder of George Floyd and the fact that we saw it on television and the outrage after it that people have been, they couldn't, I don't think they could hold it in anymore. We couldn't hold it in. And what's happened is that has sparked so many important, you say dangerous at times, but it's actually even more so important because it, to some, is a dangerous conversation. I don't consider it a dangerous conversation. I think it's uncomfortable for some people, but it needs to be acknowledged, the fact that there is racism in America, the fact that there that black communities are treated much more uh, despairingly and different than a lot of other communities, that non-white communities face a lot of discrimination, that queer people and the fact that black trans lives are specifically need to be called in uh, regarding justice for everyone. And it's yeah. important that we have these conversations and it's being acknowledged right now. And we can't ignore it. I mean, I think it's amazing that we work also with a company right now with HBO that has stood in solidarity with us. But the biggest thing you say, what can I do as a white person? Well, the first thing is acknowledging that it exists because a lot of people try to sweep it under the rug that we don't have a problem about racism in America, which we do. And the, the fact that there is a problem with racism around the world. Okay. In addition to that, uh, it's about showing up. 
It's about posting on your social medias. It's about helping spread the word and the awareness. It's about, if you can, like our sister Eureka and Bob both have been out there with the protest showing up. I'm over here in Paris, Texas, quarantined at my granny's house, you know, but I'm still doing my part from a distance. We're actually launching uh, or just launched a new initiative called Feed the Queens in which, you know, we're because of COVID-19, you know, that hunger is a huge issue in the drag community. We're trying to address that, but also realizing that black communities and specifically black queens don't get as many resources, don't get uh, access to as many resources a lot of times um, that we have segmented or kind of earmarked 30% of all the money that's fundraised that specifically goes to queens of color. It's that kind of stuff that you have to do in acknowledging that racism exists in order to help us get to a better space. And I just want to tell everyone listening, go to feedthequeens.com because this is a really important initiative. And it's basically they're going to distribute grocery gift cards to at least a thousand people. Um, You know, their goal is to raise over a hundred thousand in online donations and corporate support. And right now, especially with the pandemic, especially with what's going on, it's super, super important and a really great organization. Yeah, and I didn't want to, and I'm not trying to distract in any way from the Black Lives Matter movement. It's important that we say Black Lives Matter. It's important that we say that Black Trans Lives Matter. And it's important, like I said, to show up and, and be involved in the conversation. Absolutely. I heard you guys just got picked up for season two of We're Here. Can you even, can you even believe it? Can you literally even believe it? I'm beyond thrilled. When, do they have a date yet or when are you guys thinking? I mean, I know everything's on hold. Yeah, as soon as it's safe to go back out there, I know that everyone is eager to be back out there. And we're looking already, I think the team is at what cities and different uh, cast members and and people to be involved with. So as soon as it's safe and they deem it a thumbs up, we're going to be there. No no spoilers, but we are going to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Are you guys considering going back to Spartanburg? Because I wanted, like, you introduced them, like, for two seconds in episode six, and of course you had to shut down, but I wanted to see what what, what the deal was with those guys. I mean, I would love to go back to Spartanburg, but we'll, I mean, at this point we'll see, you know, who knows. Yeah, Spartanburg has great stories. Yeah, I would definitely love that. The only time I think, tell me if I'm wrong, the only time that the three of you all performed at the same time on this show is uh, the bang bang number, or is that correct? Wrong. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We, you're, 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 you actually are right. The only time I believe that you see us all perform together as a trio is in the finale episode, but in putting on a full, well-rounded drag show in every city that we go to, we all do a solo number. Right. We all have our drag participants that do a number, and in every city we do a different group number. So we we have an arsenal of videos, honey. True. Who do we write to at HBO Max to get these performances put online? Because I want <laughs> to see all of it. Nina, <laughs> Here, Nina. give them the cell phone number. <laughs> Nina, bro, you think? <laughs> Casey. Well, the message real, Casey on Twitter. The real gag for me was, I'm just gonna call this out, like because we all we did these performances at all these houses, and they got they got better and better. <laughs> they got better and better every single time. I can't. But they still use the very first one where where my <laughs> I'm sweating the house down. My bra is showing. Oh, Chantel's wearing mama. a tablecloth. Yeah, uh, let's not forget that the, it was so hot Missed in the building dang. that the la- the glue on my lace oh. front had just gave up. Up, and my wig was back in the middle of my head. Let's not forget that, poor for Wait, more. 
Shangela's wig was like this. Go back up. Shangela's. For, the, for those of us who can't see, which is everyone listening to this, Bob has put on a truly somewhat horrifying, like, Tina Shit. Turner post-Thunderdome moment. Shit, the wig was made. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know what that Miss is. Thing, you can see her holster, but that tape, you had, and that costume yeah. we threw on, it was on one arm. And no, you know I what? thought That's I the- could do a quick change. I thought I could do a quick change, so I ran through the back really fast. And uh, they couldn't figure out where the armhole was in the neck. So I'm actually, the armhole is around my neck. And I just filmed the whole thing from the side. Notice I'm walking from the side the whole time. It's mixed, Miss Cuddle, it's fizzling the bottle, it's Nicky Wolf, it's uh, uh. Miss Zing. And we did so many other performances that were so much more together, but for some reason. Right. It's Girl, we did. We practiced choreography for these other numbers in the hotel. We had these costumes made. There's we really went through it. And they're like, you know what would be good? Bang, bang. bang. <laughs> oh, favorite color, periwinkle blue? Fuchsia. Fuchsia. <laughs> Paint it fuchsia. I want to start a groundswell of fans demanding, look, release the footage. Like, like hashtag, we're here, release the footage. So I want to ask you all, being that we're in Pandemicville, like, how are you guys getting along uh, under quarantine? How how has it been, you know, how have you been handling it? It's a quarantine. Miss thing. I'll go, I guess. Um, I, I, honestly, the real truth is I'm an extroverted person. I'm a hugger. I like physical contact with people. I'm a very hand... It's my love language, you know what I mean? It's like to touch and hug and nurture. And, um, and I'm not used to being alone. I'm a very social person. I'm by myself in West Hollywood. And the first... Honestly, the first couple months of this was the hardest for me as an extroverted person because I had to learn how to be alone. I, I like weirdly, and I didn't even realize that was a thing. You know what I mean? Um, we we stay so busy that like when I get alone time, I enjoy it. I I definitely appreciate it. But as much like as much time I had alone, it really left me like to my own anxiety and my own trying to figure out how to navigate being alone. And um, you know, it came with a lot of emotions and like figuring things out for myself. I didn't know I needed weirdly. Um, and so I have actually come out of this. Like I've made connections with people that I. Didn't normally connect with, uh, maybe people I hadn't talked to in a long time, also maybe a better understanding of, like, how my mind works and, like, um, where I could actually, like, fix maybe some things there to be a little more positive for my own life and living. Um, and so it's been hard, but there's a lot weirdly that I think that I've actually gotten from being alone and I've uh, organized my apartment and I've, you know, my apartment ain't never been so clean, girl. My drag ain't never been hung up so well. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so as hard as it's been, you know, there's been elements of this that have been actually, um, really, really great for me. One of the things I wanted to ask all three of you, and this is what I've been asking everybody, uh, you know, in the, first season of this podcast is what advice do you have for younger artists? They could be directors, they could be performers, they could be writers. Aside from just do it, what advice would you give them right now? Ooh. It's a tough one. Oh, it, I mean, it's easy for me because I know you say besides just do it, but to be honest, that is the, that is the best advice you can give anyone in terms of creating their art. Create it. Yeah. Make it. Don't apologize for it. Do it and put it out there. Uh, I remember someone told me years ago and said, whenever you whenever you paint your face, leave the house. Don't paint your face. Wipe it off and stay at home. 
get in drag, go out there and just do it. It's so easy to say like, well, I want to be perfect. I want to be a perfectionist. I want to be this. I want to be that. As you saw in, in episode six, if we if we'd have waited to, for perfection, we probably wouldn't have done it to the last episode of this season. I mean, we, we just talked about we just talked about how my bra was showing and Shangela's wig was sliding off. Like you cannot give yourself a bunch of excuses for as a reason to not do your art or to not make your art. But the reason all artists keep saying just do it is because that is the best advice that you can get in terms of making your art. Just try to make it. Shangela, what do you think? Yeah, and I... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Eureka. I was just going to say don't hold yourself to unrealistic expectations like the whole perfectionist thing. I think it's just literally just enjoy your art and do it. I mean, it really is the thing. Well, and Shangela? I would just add to both of those really great pieces of advice that, you know, as an artist, we all, I think drag entertainers are definitely artists, right? And a lot of us are having to be in the house and are so accustomed to, like Eureka said, being able to be out and being able to, what we create, then go out there and share. So we've had to kind of adapt to uh, the different restrictions that we've been put on our life, you know, the changes due to COVID-19. And I would say in this particular moment, because this won't last forever, I'm hoping, but who knows what the changes are, how they're going to affect how we share our art. So I would say to everyone, be willing and be open to change and be open to adapting. And don't think that because, you know, we can't go and audition in person anymore that you can't figure out how to do it from home. Don't sell yourself short because, you know, we've had to, a lot of us become like one-stop shops during this whole pandemic. I mean, if you can see my setup right here, I'm at my granny's house, I'm in a spare room here with a lighting setup and lights. And the other night I was putting up a green screen and I'm the makeup artist and the hairstylist. (laughs) And thankfully, as drag entertainers who started in the clubs and started out there, we're able to do that. See, we don't have to sit up and go, oh, now I don't know, have, you know, the makeup artist and the hairstylist, I gotta pick which one can come to my house. Most queens are already one-stop shops. They can make the clothes, they can put together the look. So you just have to be able to adapt and be able to learn. And then once we're back out there, also have a lot of compassion. As artists, you know, we want to get out there, we want to be seen and all that. But we're going to have to, when we come out of this and we talk about mental health issues due to COVID-19 and just people have been in a rough spot with regard to the protests and everything going on uh, within our different communities. And then also being in the house and and being out of work, 40 million people across America without jobs. It's a lot. So uh, I would say just as an artist, remember others as well. Remember others. And and be compassionate to yourself, I think you're saying as well. Hallelujah. Because like. I think a lot of creative people expected like, oh, we have time off. We can do all this stuff. And now it's, it's, it's just a lot to process. It is. You got to take care of your mental state. And that way you can be the best person to provide, you know, your art to others. Take your time too. I think we're with this pandemic. Uh, a lot of people I know um, really felt like they needed to rush and just do like a million things. Like, oh, I have all this time. So I should be creating this and doing this and doing that. Take your time. There's still time. You know I mean? There's plenty of time to do it. Just relax and, you know, do what you can and what you really need to or want to at the time, you know? You have to do everything in one day. Unless you're 90 like Bob. Right. If you're 90 like Bob, <laughs> you, you probably got a good three or four left. 
You know, if you eat well, maybe six or seven. Right. If Bob is I'm, 90... Well, luckily, I got plenty of time. Listen, to anyone listening to this podcast, I would just implore you to take this moment to Google all of our ages. She's hateful. And we'll see yeah. who's closest to I, 90. I, I, she I, voted for I, Trump. I, I she voted for Trump. <laughs> you are so <laughs> I didn't want to tell it. I'm anonymous. And she voted for Trump. Wow. Just so the listeners know, they are not talking about me, bitch. Oh, my goodness. Listen, this is a great place to leave off. Thank you so much. It has been a genuine personal thrill to talk to all of you. I love you all. And I know you don't know me, but I love you all. You are amazing. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm Dave Kittredge. This has been the Outfest presented by Outcast. Oh, excuse me. I'm Dave Kittredge. This is the Outcast presented by Outfest. For more, go to outfest.org slash the Outcast. The Outcast is executive produced by Ismail El-Sharif and Alan Konigsberg. Special thanks to Damian Navarro and the entire Outfest team. Music by West One Music Group. For more information about Outfest, the film festival, the programs, and all the ways that you can help support LGBT voices, go to outfest.org. The Outcast is a production of Milton Ventures Media and Triple Fire Productions. I'm Dave Kittredge. Thank you so much for listening, and catch you next time.